Welcome to the Distrust and Disparities Podcast, Voices from the Margins of Healthcare. On this podcast, we will explore both current and historical cases of medical injustices within the American healthcare system. We will get into how we can overcome this systemic mistreatment, advocate for ourselves, and close the gap on poor health outcomes and disparities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Camille White. No more hesitation, fully funded relocation. The mayor, members of the city council, and the new administrator for the Environmental Protection Agency on the federal level have all acknowledged that what happened at the Garden Plaza at Garden Plaza is an environmental injustice and racism. In episode 16, we discussed Gordon Plaza, a New Orleans housing development specifically built for Black first-time homebuyers. The residents were not told that their dream homes were built on top of a landfill saturated with toxins harmful to their health. And we highlight the residents of Gordon Plaza, a community organization fighting against environmental racism and working with the New Orleans People's Assembly to demand a fully funded relocation to move off of the toxic soil where their homes were built. Thanks for joining us again. Welcome back to the podcast. So this week is kind of like a bonus episode because typically with the bi-weekly schedule, we put out two episodes a month, but this month you get three. So last Friday, April 22nd was World Earth Day. And the environment in which you live plays a big factor in your health. Environmental factors such as air and water quality are fundamental determinants of our health and well-being. So environmental health disparities exist when communities exposed to a combination of poor environmental quality and social inequities have more sickness and disease than wealthier, less polluted communities. And there's been decades of research on environmental health disparities, and they have shown that the people most affected by environmental hazards are largely those that are non-white and poor. When you look at the most powerful predictor of where the most industrial pollution is, race is the most potent predictor. And also additional studies suggest that Black Americans have lacked political power to block polluting facilities from moving into their neighborhood. And when I was researching a case to discuss for World Earth Day, just the common theme you see is they specifically chose this specific land, this neighborhood, because the people were poor, they were Black, they were minorities. And like I just stated, they didn't have the political power to fight back against these harmful industrial complexes moving into their neighborhood or what was being done to their neighborhood, having like a landfill built in their neighborhood or, you know, toxins being dumped or say like a highway or specific polluting agent being placed in a neighborhood. Mm. And sometimes you will see white people, they have the chance or wealthier neighborhoods, they can lobby, fight, gather lawyers to fight 
these industries from coming into their neighborhood. And sometimes, most of the time in these poor neighborhoods, they're not even told of what's coming into their neighborhood. They're being told, oh, you're going to have jobs. You're going to bring opportunities without telling them the full risk of what is going on. And this is a form of environmental racism. Like Jasmine was saying, this is environmental racism. And what that refers to is institutional rules, regulations, policies, or government, or even corporate decisions that deliberately target certain communities for locally undesirable land uses and lax enforcement of zoning environmental laws. And what ends up happening is that those communities are being disproportionately exposed to toxic and hazardous waste based upon their race. Also in our story this week, we'll be touching on environmental justice, which of course is working against environmental racism. And environmental justice promotes environmental, economic, and social justice by recognizing the direct link between economic, environmental, and health issues and demanding a safe, clean community and workplace environment for everyone. Because these, you know, government entities, corporations, they are deliberately choosing who they want to inflict these toxic, hazardous things upon. Exactly. They're not, it's not like a coincidence that, you know, Black people, people of color are the ones being affected most by situations like this. Mm-hmm. And I was reading an article when they try to spread out where they're going to put certain environmental hazards or things. If they look at certain neighborhoods, they get pushback. So the city is directing them to other areas, mostly minority. And as the research is showing, Black environments where they'll get less pushback Mm -hmm. so it like you said this is specifically environmental racism and it's happening on multiple levels that's allowing this to happen so that's why there's this movement for environmental justice and most of the time when you think of world earth day or just earth day in general they're talking about recycling walking biking to work but there's some systemic factors that need to be brought up, attention has need to be brought into that we are facing in our own communities that we can do. We're not the ones that are causing the large pollution of the environment. A lot of times it's these large companies and it's our governments that are allowing them to do things and ignoring humans that are harmed in the process. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at some statistics. Black people make up a small percentage of the pollution that's caused, you know, charging us for plastic bags and plastic bottles. We recycling those. It's not us. (laughs) It's not us. (laughs) Trust me. But (laughs) let's move on to the main story because I could go on and on because I don't want to pay for bags (laughs) and the bottle tax. (laughs) Let's jump into this week's main story. So this week's story I heard about on the podcast, 
It's called Pod Save the People, and it's with D. Ray McKesson, and it's a really great podcast that I like to listen to weekly, and I learn a lot of different things. So they discuss news that you may have missed, specifically overlooked stories and topics that often impact people of color. So I'll link this specific episode in our show notes. As I was listening to this episode, the story was so shocking. And it was just a blatant example of environmental racism. I was like, we have to take a deep dive into this story because it's just such an egregious case. And it is cited as one of the worst examples of environmental injustice in the United States. And as I was reading and looking up information, I was like, why am I just learning about this story? This is crazy. This week, we're going to talk about Gordon Plaza. Gordon Plaza is a housing development that was built in the late 1970s on top of an agricultural landfill in New Orleans. And if you're like me, you're like, what? A whole community built on top of a landfill? Yes. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into a little bit of the history of the community. The agricultural street landfill which is the official name of the landfill. It opened up in 1909 in the 9th Ward of New Orleans. This landfill, it received up to half of New Orleans trash, which included large amounts of industrial waste. Also, because it was receiving so much trash, there was a widespread use of disinfectants, chemical disinfectants to control flies, rats, and also the smell that was coming from the landfill. And at the time, this was an open air landfill. So it's just, they just dumped the trash in there and it was just like out in the open. In 1948, the state of Louisiana, they created a law that prohibited open air landfills. The city, they supposedly, and I'll say air quotes, they sanitized the landfill with weekly applications of carcinogenic chemicals to cover up this landfill. So these are really heavy, strong chemicals that they're using to kind of close up this landfill. And this is on a weekly basis. I thought this was an interesting factor. This landfill site, it was nicknamed Dante's Inferno. Because in the 1940s, the neighborhood residents, they reported numerous underground fires that burned for decades at this site. Mm. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just burning trash and chemicals. Yeah. That is just terrible all around for everybody, I'm sure, in a huge radius going out from this landfill. Right. In 1958, the landfill was closed because it reached capacity, but local politicians say it was closed in response to neighborhood complaints of flies and rodent infestations, and they were also sued as well. In 1965, they had to open up the landfill for six months to accommodate more debris from Hurricane Betsy. After the hurricane, the dump was closed again, so they burned it covered it with a layer of the city's incinerator ash, and they grinded it into the earth. So Camille, (laughs) in the 1970s, New Orleans politicians, they started to envision turning this site into a 
beautiful subdivision to provide affordable housing to the city's low-income residents. Huh. That's On top of this. Interesting. But it's on top of a landfill. <laughs> a beautiful subdivision. You're like the low income people. Yes. The poor people come and live on top of a landfill because that's all we think you deserve because right. you're poor. We look down upon you and we're going to build you, you know, a beautiful community on top of a landfill that they don't use probably every chemical possible on. before they then, you know, covered it up with some dirt and grinded it into the earth. Yes. I would love to know who originally thought of this idea. Yes. Who was like, oh, we have all this land. We can build some houses on, but it used to be a landfill. I mean, it's easily, I think so many people would be like, but what about like what's underneath? That didn't magically disappear. All of that's still happening under there. And to build homes and to have an infrastructure for a community, you need plumbing. You need to be digging into that ground. Then those people would be eventually digging into the ground that live there. There's so many things that it's just like, y'all did not care about these people at all. And you looked at them as like, sort of inferior, disposable people, because why would you in any way think that this would be an appropriate place for people to live? Right. Just if you was to present this idea to me, so many questions come to mind. And this is only about five years after the landfill was closed. It was less than 10 years. That's like, oh, let's do something under it. It's not like this was decades, years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have tried to do things. We've tested it. We've done experiments to make sure it's safe. No. You're like, oh, we can do something with this land. You know, we got lots of people that need housing. We can put them on this toxic land. At the time, the city's white mayor, Victor Shiro, he entered into a cooperative agreement with the White Run Housing Authority in the 1970s to plan this new development. So they went forward with their plans in order to make the development possible and to build these housing for low-income residents. They applied for federal funds and they applied for specific federal programs and grants that were designed to attract low-income residents to the area and also to purchase their first home. From 1978 to 1981, they started construction and began to build the houses. In 1981, Gordon Plaza was finished. The development of the houses, they were completed. And this included 67 ranch-style houses that were built in the Upper Ninth Ward of New Orleans. And additionally... They were also going to build an apartment complex and a senior citizen facility, along with a shopping complex. So this was considered a beacon for Black people who dreamed of owning a home. And it's really important to note that Black people have been excluded from the best neighborhoods by racist housing covenants, redlining, and legal racist separation. But this middle-class housing was built especially for them. So not only are you looking to attract, you know, low income people, you're then also looking to attract black people. So, again, this is why this whole situation is clearly the city of New Orleans and all those involved in building this community. You're targeting 
black people. Mm-hmm. You're targeting them to come and live on a landfill because you don't think they deserve anything better than this. Mm-hmm. And at the time after the Gordon Plaza community was built, the city had its first black mayor, Ernest Nathan, AKA Dutch Morial. And he knew that the housing development was built on top of a landfill. But despite knowing this, city officials encouraged black and mostly first time home buyers to move in without mentioning that key detail, which is really interesting of like, I think a lot of mm-hmm. people had they been informed of where they were moving and what was beneath these homes, they would have had questions and they probably would have you know, change their mind unless you're going to give them a report of something telling them, oh, no, everything's been done to, you know, some sort of code or law and it's safe for you and your families. And what's Mm -hmm. even more interesting is that Ernest, the mayor, he even encouraged some of his staff members to buy homes in Gordon Mm -hmm. Plaza. Shame. And I can bet in New Orleans, the sentiment, we have our first black mayor. He's looking out for us. Mm-hmm. He's recognizing that we, the struggle of getting good housing and good neighborhoods, you know, he's promoting this new area. You know, we're moving on up. Yeah. You know, New yeah. Orleans, the city of New Orleans is... I believe majority black. We're starting to get some of the things that we're pushing for, that we're asking for. But you're still lying to people, keeping them in the dark. Mm-hmm. You knew that it was built on top of a landfill. You could have blew the whistle like, hey, what's going on? You could have stopped this like, hey, was this safe? What was done? Mm-hmm. I understand we have this land, but is it safe for people to move in? Let's let them know. Let's see how people feel. Like, yeah. hey, we got these new houses that's built on top of trash, toxic trash. Do you want to come? <laughs> Do you want to come and see what people are going to say? Because mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> sure the resounding answer would have been a hell no. What else you right. got? I do not want to put my heart or money into a home that yes. who knows what could happen. <sighs> yes. Just crazy that they kept moving forward with it. Mm-hmm. Kept moving forward with this. Yeah. So eventually you have homeowners and renters, they move into the neighborhood. And this was, you know, including uh, many hardworking New Orleans residents. Many of them were working multiple jobs and they were hoping that, you know, with Gordon Plaza and a purchase of a home there, they would be achieving their American dream of home ownership. Many wanted to also leave a financial legacy for their children because, again, home ownership is truly a way that you can establish generational wealth. Mm -hmm. And one Gordon Plaza resident named Jesse Perkins, who ended up moving to Gordon Plaza in 1988, is quoted as saying, my mother had never, ever had a home that she actually could call her own. So that was everything. I worked so hard, so long, so many hours, day and night, strenuous work, sacrificing and saving my dollars. And that's what's even more upsetting that you targeted these people, these hardworking people mm-hmm. who were dreaming of home ownership and finally be able to say, like, I've achieved this great accomplishment, all to like just slap them in the face with this nonsense and just. It's literally toxic trash. Mm -hmm. And 
once homeowners moved into the neighborhood, you know, you do what you do as a homeowner. You get adjusted, you get acquainted, you start planting trees and growing gardens in your backyard and making Mm -hmm. it your own. And thousands of people flock to the new area. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, soon after moving in, residents watched their dreams disappear as toxic sludge and hazardous materials started surfacing in their yards, which I can only imagine is just like so scary because now that you own this home, like this is now your responsibility and you start seeing things falling apart literally beneath your feet. You're mm-hmm. just watching all those dreams uh, evaporate when it's just like, okay, what is going on? What is actually happening? Yeah. People reported as they're planting these trees, they're digging up, you know, cans that have X's on it or things are just popping up from the soil. They're seeing like vapor fumes just come up from the soil and they're like, what is going on? This is not normal. And in 1983, Like we said, the community was still growing. They wanted to build an elementary school. So in 1983, they tested the soil that they were going to build the elementary school on. And they found potentially hazardous materials in the soil. So state environmentalists, they recommended further testing of the air and soil in the the whole community of Gordon Plaza. Eventually, they ended up still building the school, and it opened up in 1987. But before even building the school, federal, state, and independent toxicology studies, they found high levels of lead, arsenic, mercury, coronum, dioxins, polynuclear, aromic, hydrocarbons, a whole bunch of toxins over... 140 toxic substances, including 49 known carcinogenic toxins in the soil and water of the Gordon Plaza community. Additionally, harmful amounts of pesticide chemicals were being used in the area in really large amounts in order to protect residents from harmful insects and rodents. Once they were getting the results that were showing that the soil was toxic and poisonous for humans to be living on, growing trees, eating the fruit from those trees, environmentalists and health consultants, they warned the residents of the possible effects of living on land that was basically saturated with poison. Some of the Effects included neurological disorders, memory loss, stomach ailments, cancer, heart problems, reduced lung function, and also developmental problems in children, along with a whole host of conditions. Eventually, a number of health risks they started developing amongst the residents of Gordon Plaza, children attending the elementary, Morton Elementary School in Gordon Plaza, they began showing signs of lead poisoning. And like we said, they knew the soil was toxic when they started to plan to build for the school, but they still built the school for children. They didn't care. They did not care about these children. And they did not Mm -hmm. care because they were Black and they didn't have that much money. 
So mm-hmm. it was like, oh, what? Like, because you tested it. This was after you had already given the go ahead and you built homes. You then were like, oh, let's build a school. Ugh, the soil ain't looking too good. Mm. Oh, well, mm-hmm. let's just still build it. Right. And residents began to experience respiratory diseases, cancers, especially. And there was also a number of deaths that were likely a result of exposure to these heavy metals and also these toxic chemicals. A number of residents report knowing somebody that died of cancer, whole families with different forms of cancer or just stomach ailments. And some of reports from that area, so the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, they discovered a breast cancer cluster And reported that women living on this site had a 57% excess risk for breast cancer. That's insane. That's completely insane that literally moving Mm -hmm. there increased your risk for breast cancer by 57%. Mm -hmm. Just from the area that you're living in. You're just living and breathing and inhaling, ingesting Mm -hmm. chemicals. There's no way to get around it. Mm -mm. Just increasing your risk. And a report from the Louisiana Tumor Registry found that the census tract of Gordon Plaza had the second highest cancer rate in Louisiana. Just moving here could ultimately end up just being a death sentence for people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, like you were saying, they thought that this would help with building generational wealth, but it turns into generational trauma from living on this land. Just so many residents affected. And in 1985, the Gordon Plaza residents, they began demanding relocation because they were sold houses built on top of a landfill without their knowledge. The whole community is affected. And the government is the one who sold them these houses and they're like, get us off this land. It's killing us, basically. And you may be thinking, how could they not know what was being done? A lot of people, they didn't know about the houses being on this landfill. And like you said, the government is promoting this area. This is your first opportunity at a house. So they thought it was safe to live there. They did not know that this housing development was built on top of a landfill. And maybe you're like, why didn't they just pack up and leave after seeing that that their houses are on top of toxic soil and that it's basically killing them? But it's just not that simple as packing up and being able to leave. Like we said, this was hardworking people that invested their hard-earned money in savings to purchase these homes. They didn't have the resources to just pack up and abandon and leave. And they couldn't sell their houses because once they found out it's on a landfill, who who is going to buy these houses from you? No one at all is going to want to buy it. And that's when it's just like you're literally then stuck. You're stuck Mm -hmm. living on top of trash and completely knowing that like your health will be severely affected in one way or another because you can't go anywhere. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. So after like, you know, in 1985, like Jasmine mentioned, the residents of Gordon Plaza started demanding relocation. 
It wasn't until 1994, in response to mounting pressure from residents and local activists, that the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, determined that the former agricultural street landfill site was polluted enough to warrant listing on the national priorities list. And that ended up qualifying Gordon Plaza uh, site for Superfund status and funding. And so a Superfund site is basically a place where hazardous waste is dumped, including manufacturing facilities, processing plants, landfills, and mining sites. And it is deemed a Superfund site when no company is held liable for the cleanup or the company can't afford to do the cleanup, and then the government steps in and funds the cleanup process. So it took way too long in the first place, but finally Mm -hmm. in 1994, the Gordon Plaza area, because it was on top of the Agriculture Street landfill, it was deemed a Superfund site. But, you know, this is the same EPA that tested the soil in 1986. They tested it in new way back when what was really happening on the Gordon Plaza site. You knew exactly what was going on, but you allowed a housing development to be built there. You allowed a school to be built there. Mm -hmm. Right. and And you never informed the residents of the test results. So the residents of Gordon Plaza, they don't trust the government or the EPA because they were lied to for over nine years. You're right. now trying to come in and say, oh, we're going to do some tests now. And yes, we're deeming it to be this issue. But what the hell? You knew from the get go. You're just yeah. trying to save face, I feel like now to be like, oh, yes, now we're going to we're going to acknowledge this. Right. In 1986, remind you, EPA stands for Environmental Protection Agency Protection. They tested the soil. And I bet you when they tested the soil, it came up with what we said, over 140 chemicals and 49 of those being carcinogenics. But you still approved the city to build houses on top of this land. And uh, not even a decade later, about a decade later, you're declaring it a super fun site, saying that it's a hazard and that it needs to be cleaned up. Can you imagine being a residence there? You were told it was safe to live here, to purchase homes, to plant trees, to do all this. You weren't told that your house was built on top of a landfill. And now the EPA is coming in and they're like, this is a contaminated site. I wouldn't trust anybody. Like, you just need to pack everybody up and move them as Quick as possible. Yes. You need to immediately send in, I don't know, any sort of resources, the National Guard to help people pack up their homes, supply them with moving boxes, U-Hauls, put them up in a hotel, and then figure out how in the world you're going to pay them their money that they are due so they can go and find much better homes in a much better location. But instead of relocating them, government officials refuse residents' demands to help them relocate. And that didn't make any sense because their homes had lost any and all appeal they ever had and nearly all of their value. 
the properties are almost impossible to sell because of the contamination. So what is your next option then? What is the solution here? Because it can't be to leave these people. Y'all sold them this. So you need to take it back and pay them in full. Right. You would think that would be the solution. But let's tell you what the government does. Because we know what the government should do. But let's talk about what the government did. In addition to retesting the soil mm-hmm. and reconfirming that it's toxic, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> time, it's toxic. <laughs> it's toxic. So between 1997 and 2001, the EPA, they began partial remediation. The EPA, they began to replace two feet of topsoil throughout Gordon Plaza. Two feet of topsoil. Two feet. Two feet. Like I said before we started recording, <laughs> we bury people six feet deep. How in the world is taking two feet, two feet of soil up and going, oh, we're going to put some new soil right on top when we took that off. We're going to make things better. Magically, everyone's like, what, two cancer feet. is going to go away and their house is going to be worth money again? Uh, two feet. We, we just going to re- replace two feet. I read this and was like, are you serious? So they're only replacing two feet of topsoil, but they only clean up approximately 10% of the entire Gordon Plaza facility. So they only clean up exposed soil. So they leave out things such as under people's homes, sidewalks, road, and any other developed surface. So they're only replacing 10% of the soil in undeveloped areas. People aren't living in the undeveloped areas. It's no way to, you just kind of like, say you drop your your whole food on the floor, like a cake on the floor. You pick it up and you just scrape the top off. And you're not even scraping all the top off. Mm-mm. I don't even have an analogy for this. <laughs> the cake analogy works because imagine you drop mm. a cake on the ground and the ground is filthy, like absolutely <laughs> filthy. And you pick mm. it up and you scrape off like a good chunk of the icing, but not that not the majority of it, just what you can visibly see. But then you go, we're going to slap some new icing on top, ignoring that underneath that is like hair Ugh. and dust Ugh. and skin cells and whatever else was Ugh. on this filthy floor in terms of bacteria that we could not see. And then you went here, mm. now eat this cake. If it's perfectly fine, you'll be good to go. Like it, Like you couldn't. How who came up with this idea? One, who signed off on this idea? Two, and why the hell did they think that this was acceptable? Because it's underneath the homes, it's underneath everything, and you only Ugh. cleaned ten percent. You're not even cleaning. I don't even know why I'm calling it cleaning. It's not cleaning. You you scraped up two feet of soil and put down some new soil. What, what? is that going to do? Right, and to build off of this cake analogy, imagine it costs you ten dollars to buy a whole new cake. Mm-hmm. But instead of buying a whole new cake, you spend thirty, fifty dollars dressing up this dirty cake. Is is what you do? <laughs> Make it make sense. <laughs> you know, buy a whole new cake, or we can be dazzle this dirty cake. So, like we said, the majority of the residents, they wanted to be relocated. Mm-hmm. But rather than pay an estimated $12 million for relocating 
the residents, they spent $20 million for this partial soil swapping. That's what they did. And make then, it make sense. You right. spent $20 million <laughs> for some new dirt is what you're telling me. Right. <sighs> and on top of that, they told residents they can go about their normal lives as they're shifting around this dirt. As they're digging up two feet of soil and putting some new soil over top of how many other layers, feet of toxic soil, the people that are doing the cleanup, they're walking around in hazmat suits, gas masks, and they're telling the resident, oh, it's fine. You can just go about your normal day. But y'all not out here with, you know, a bandana around your face digging up dirt, but you tell the residents they can just breathe this. You're like, oh, you already inhaled it. Y'all used to this. Just go about your normal day. The residents is like, this is a slap in our face. It is. It's a, it's you. I don't understand how you would go and spend almost double the amount it would have to actually provide the, the fair and reasonable solution of relocating them to then dig up dirt and slap new dirt on. And then on top of that, you're kicking up so much dust, so much mm-hmm. more toxic stuff. You're kicking it up into the atmosphere and you're telling these people, ah, nah, it's good. You like, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't mind us. While they're walking around in hazmat suit. You don't care about these people. You don't care about their health. You just see them as disposable. You, I, I don't, think you even see them as human beings because why would you do this to them it's just crazy it's just egregious like how did they think this was okay you you can't care about people you you can't you have no respect for human life at Mm -hmm. this point in 2004 the homeowners cancer patients children students and teachers of the elementary school as well as administrators they joined a class action lawsuit against the developers of the property and the city. City officials, they tried to deny being aware of the contamination and that the site was built on top of a landfill. But during the proceedings, city workers testified that the soil was tested before it was built. Yeah. Like, did y'all think that that would magically disappear the proof of the multiple tests that y'all did? over the many years that this stuff was happening, you just went about it like deny, 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 because you don't want to take responsibility. Right. And they knew they tested the soil and that the soil was toxic. And they required the developers, before they came in to build that land, they told them to add two feet of topsoil before constructing. I don't know if it was two feet, but they told them, throw some fresh dirt on top of the landfill before you build the houses. Y'all knew it was bad, but y'all were like, let's throw some fresh dirt on it. And so here's where that, that first keep new it moving. dirt idea came from. That's what they did originally. And then they were like, mm-hmm. ooh, maybe something happened to that, that dirt we added in, the, what, the 70s? So then y'all came around in the, the 90s, early 2000s, like, ooh, let's just add some more fresh dirt because that's going to solve the problem. So you like you literally already knew that that was a terrible idea, but you still went through with it anyway. Mm-hmm. And some details that came out during the proceedings in a 1985 meeting, 
environmental consultants hired by the board, the Board of Education, they advise members that the site may pose an unacceptable risk to construction crews, school children, and staff. So they told them not to build the school, but they still built the school. They recommended, because I guess they were still pushing, we need to build a school. They recommended digging up three feet of soil at the site and replacing it with at least two feet of fresh topsoil and also installing a six to 12 inch clay barrier to separate the topsoil and the contaminated soil. So putting this extra barrier to basically keep the fresh dirt from mixing with the toxic dirt and basically becoming toxic dirt. So they told him, hey, you still want to build a school? Hmm, it's not a good idea. We don't recommend it. It's not good for anybody. But as they were constructing the school, they did away with the clay barrier to cut costs. They were like, forget it. It's too expensive. (laughs) We don't care about these people. We don't care about these children. We're talking about elementary school children. Right. It's so terrible. It's disgusting. It's like, ugh. And the judge, Judge Ramsey, that was presiding over the case, she described the behavior of city officials as shocking. And especially when it came to the school boards, it's particularly offensive because children are involved. And she also pointed out that the residents, some of whom are the most underrepresented in our society, they put their trust in the city. And they lied to them and put them in danger. And there was so much evidence that they knew that they should not build a community on top of this landfill. They knew it was hazardous. Two months after the trial began, the judge, she ruled in favor of the plaintiffs. She awarded $90 million in damages. And approximately each person was to receive up to 50000 for mental stress. Based off this settlement, residents would reportedly get approximately 140,000 and students, teachers and administrators would get up to 40,000. That's a big settlement that they won, but it still doesn't reverse the health damages and consequences of living on toxic soil. Mm-mm. You've now inflicted on these people, lifelong chronic illnesses, if they even survive Mm -hmm. those. So literally no amount of money, especially in America where you have to pay for health insurance to then even have the opportunity to go and receive treatment. And then whatever the health insurance company doesn't pay, you're paying out of pocket. It like, it would just have to be a limitless amount of money to make sure that these people are properly taken care of. That Mm -hmm. it's no amount of money would help save them and reverse, you know, their cancer or their respiratory problems. Mm -hmm. And you would be excited you won this case. But like you said, it doesn't reverse the damages. But it's like, hey, at least I will get money to move my family off this land and that future generations won't have to live on this land. I can go somewhere else. But this court hearing, it was just the beginning. You would think after being intentionally lied to and poisoned that the residents, they win this case, they would get justice. But it was only the beginning. City officials, 
they spent so much time appealing the decision, fighting the residents, and going back and forth to appeal this decision so that they don't have to pay. To make matters worse, in 2005, New Orleans was hit by Hurricane Katrina. So Gordon Plaza was completely flooded and... I told you how they replaced the topsoil and all that. That was washed away. Some of the residents, they left. They were forced to relocate because they couldn't return to their home. So the city, they tore down the apartment complex as well as the senior center, but still homes remained. Most of the homeowners, they still hadn't received any money from the city. So they hoped that their disaster insurance would basically end everything. They were like, okay, we haven't got our money from the city, but our homes are damaged beyond repair. Hopefully we can get some money from insurers and finally be done with this nightmare. But the insurers, they would not buy the homes or give them any money because they were on contaminated ground. They can't win. They literally can't win. And it just makes no sense where it's just like, okay, you have insurance. Because then to turn around and go, ah, nah, we can't accept that. We can't help you. You were paying into a premium, but we can't help you because your house is on top of a landfill. So you got to go seek money elsewhere. Just ridiculous. And a lot of the residents, they couldn't receive federal funds for the aid, like from FEMA, for reconstruction, because they were like, your house is built on a land that's considered super fund. So we're not going to pay to rebuild these houses because- They technically shouldn't have been built here before. We're not going to pay to have these houses built up again. And then we're also not going to give you money to relocate. Residents are still in these communities. Some of them could not leave. They had nowhere else to go. And each mayor that came into office from 2005 up until now expressed sympathy for the community like, We hear your struggles. We're going to do something. We're going to do something. And then the city's lawyers, they're still fighting the residents in court. And they're still refusing to pay them the damages, refusing to relocate them. The most current article that I read came out in April this month. Look, look at me. Came out this month, April 2022. So a judge, they reaffirmed the 2006 court decision but they agreed with the appellate court's decision to lower the damages. So they awarded $75 million. They decreased it from $90 million to $75 million to a class of 5,000 plaintiffs. But the lawyers, they said they doubt the plaintiffs will ever receive any of this money. There's an obscure Louisiana law shields municipalities from being forced to pay damages. Their attorneys say the city has a backlog of settlements that they have not paid. These people can't win. You literally get a judgment in your favor and you still won't get the money that you deserve, that you should have been had as soon Mm -hmm. as it came to light and the residents were made aware that they were sitting on top of contaminated soil. It should have been, okay, we're going to relocate you. We're going to give you your money back and we're going to relocate you. No one will live here ever again. No one will ever work here again. And, you know, the EPA will actually do their job and protect citizens and figure out how to safely 
contain that landfill site and safely clean up the Superfund site. But there shouldn't be anyone living in Gordon Plaza right now because they should have been located somewhere else. They should have been moved somewhere else. It's crazy. And each new mayor, they, including the mayor, it's a Black woman that's mayor in New Orleans. She said, we're going to do something. The community members, they were excited. And then the budget comes out and Gordon Plaza is not even on the budget, the city's budget. So so what are you going to do? You, you're just going to pray for them? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? And then she said, then the community members, they begin to go to the budget meetings and the hearings and ask questions like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then the next thing that is proposed... Okay, we're going to test the soil. Lord, if they do another <laughs> test. What are you what? testing? Can you for? imagine? <sighs> like, I just want to scream and just, I would be, I'm infuriated. So I can imagine living there, fighting for your community, demanding justice. It makes- and it's just this constant cycle. Constant cycle of nonsense of you get, and because of it, you're dealing with the government and city officials. You're just getting, you know, another person that will make promises that then will not keep them and pretty much ignore you and look you dead in your face and tell you lies. It just, it makes no sense. And it's, yeah, it's so frustrating and you're just so angry for them. And another thing that happened last year was that Congress signed and provided a $3.5 billion law that is part of the infrastructure bill. That $3.5 billion is to clean up Superfund sites because there is a backlog of Superfund sites across the United States that need to be cleaned up. Again, the EPA is now considering another round of testing that could Mm. finally lead to a relocation. Again, what are you testing for? It's not like, you know, Mother Earth is like, mm, yummy contaminated landfill. I'm going to make this clean for y'all and magically everything's hunky-dory. That's not what happens. You just shoved toxic stuff into the earth and it still remained toxic. It's not going anywhere. Nothing's changing. You need to just put some funds in these people's hands so they can leave. Right. And Hurricane Katrina, it did not wash it away. If anything, it exposed more toxins and brought more toxins up to the surface and made it worse. And you still want to keep testing the soil. And Congress set aside money to clean up these sites and money for relocation, but it's not being allocated. It's not trickling down to the residents. You know what you have to do. You need to move the residents out. Why is it decades that people are still living on this land? Or if they have left, they're in debt. They have not been compensated for being intentionally poisoned, intentionally Mm -hmm. sold a dream that was killing them. How? Even when they go to court, they win in court, the city, the government are not giving them their money. How is this allowed? to happen. The residents, they believe that every level of government, federal, state, and local, has failed them. We have brought attention to the 
residents of Gordon Plaza, their struggle, their continuous struggle to demand justice. And they're also our featured organization for this week. We want to amplify their story and we also want to support them in ways we can to demand justice. For this week, we're going to highlight the residents of Gordon Plaza and also the New Orleans People Assembly. After realizing that their neighborhood was poisoned, the residents of Gordon Plaza began a long struggle for a fair and fully funded relocation that continues today. And they organized around their shared experiences of living in a toxic environment. You have the smells, the digging up of garbage in their gardens, and their ongoing struggles with illness and unfortunately death too. In 1994, the residents formed the Concerned Citizens of Agriculture Street Landfill and began to forge their own path to safety. So their fight has consisted of many public protests, petitioning city mayors and government officials, awareness actions, media outreach, and evidence gathering, all eventually leading to the pending class action lawsuit against the city of New Orleans. And like many fights for environmental justice and civil rights around the world, the women of Gordon Plaza, especially Black women, have led the way for relocation. So resident Shannon Rainey and the community organization known as the residents of Gordon Plaza have teamed up with the People's Assembly, a New Orleans-based movement for economic, racial, and environmental justice to continue their fight. Yes, like you said, it's been the Black women that have been putting it together and organizing them. So we have told their story And we also want to tell you ways that you can support the residents of Gordon Plaza and the New Orleans People Assembly. Visit their website, which is linked in our show notes. You can learn more about the history and their ongoing struggle to demand justice. They're asking that you sign and share the petition in order to support their demand. What they want is a fully funded relocation. This is what they're demanding from the government. So go share with everyone, tell them to listen to this episode and to go sign that petition. We'll link all this information in the show notes and it'll also be on our social media pages as well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Gordon Plaza is unfortunately one of many examples of environmental racism and why so many marginalized communities distrust the government. Hopefully, the residents of Gordon Plaza get their fully funded relocation as soon as possible. If you would like to suggest a topic we should discuss, share your own personal story, or shout out an organization or individual, please email us at distrustsanddisparities at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Distrust and Disparities and Twitter at Distrust Pod.